Church, good morning to you. I know you hear that rain. Is there any way you could delay your Sunday nap until we're done? It's going to be tough going, isn't it? Well, amen. At least it's not snow. So praise the Lord for that. Don't you love the Bible? The Bible talks about the very things you don't want to talk about. And you, if you read the Bible and you study the Bible, you're constantly confronted with uh, issues and topics that you know you need to look at, but you don't want to look at. So do you know one of the leading causes of marriage destruction is, is the issue that we're going to talk about today? Did you know that one of the leading reasons that people drift away from God or that they refuse Him altogether is the very topic that we'll talk about today? Did you know that one of the reasons that many, many people go to hell is because of the very topic that we're going to talk about today? What's the issue? The issue is money and wealth. Now, doesn't that bless your heart? Wallets all over the house are clenched tight. You know, women just zipped up their purses. We're talking about money. The pastor talking about money. Well, the Bible talks about money, so I'm not talking about money. I'm just telling you what the Bible says about money. So we're going to take a look at it. We're going to look at the topic, Money Matters, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And so um, here's what I want to say is, let, let's hear God today. Um, we have a tendency to put words in God's mouth that He didn't say. I've heard things like this, Christians ought not be rich. Where does God say that? He doesn't say that. Having a lot of money is wrong. God doesn't say that. Being poor is godly. God doesn't say that. So I've heard all kinds of things that people think that God is saying. And God has not said that. So what we want to do is hear what God actually says today. And we don't want to, on the other hand, disregard what He does say. Some of this is not easy to receive. But some of it is. Now... Here's the thing, um, Paul circles around back to this topic, he's been talking about it already. But earlier in chapter 6, he talked about those false teachers who because of love for money, they were doing what they were doing. They were telling people the things that people wanted to hear so that they could gain a following of people and they could fleece the flock, so to speak. They could take the money from those people and become rich off of religion. And so Paul had addressed that already with Timothy and said, those people are false teachers. They're in it for the love of money. But Ephesus was a prosperous town. And there's no doubt that there were people in the congregation at the church at Ephesus, which Timothy is pastoring this church, this great church. And there's no doubt that there are people in that congregation who are wealthy. And so that the rest of the congregation did not look at the wealthy people and say, Aha, see, they're wealthy, therefore they have a love of money, therefore they follow false teaching. That conclusion was the wrong conclusion. It's a fact that there are some people that through their own abilities that God has given to them, through the providential circumstances that God has orchestrated in their life, that they also were born in a place with a great economy, that through all of those things, they have become wealthy. God, in no shape, form, or fashion, is condemning that. So he wants to make sure that the people of the church at Ephesus understand 
that if you do have wealthy people among you, it's not necessarily true that they're ungodly people. The false teachers pursued wealth. That's wrong. They were using false religion and other things to gain wealth. That's, that's that issue. But the issue of people who are followers of Jesus who happen to be wealthy being in the same category as the swindlers and the cheats is a wrong conclusion. But Paul wants to also make sure that those people who are wealthy, and that would be every person in this room. Some of you bellyache and cry because you don't have as much as other Americans. But I want to let you know that about 70% of the world's wealth is in our hands. In the hands of one country. Do you realize that? The people among us who are on government assistance are way wealthier than the majority of the world. We are a nation of kings. There's never been a nation that's ever existed with the kind of wealth that we have. And so what we're talking about today and what God is going to tell us from the scripture, it applies to every one of us. Now we can compare ourselves to each other and to somebody, you're poor, right? But I want you to know this, no matter where you are, you may be pretty far down the economic chain. You're wealthy to the most of people in the world. So, let's take a look at what God says here. Now, first of all, in verse 17 of the six chapters, we come to the conclusion of 1 Timothy. Paul says, I want you to see this now, the problems with wealth. There are problems that come with it. Paul's not saying it's wrong. He's just saying there are problems that come with it. And he points out two particular problems in verse 17, if you'll look. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The problems with wealth. Problem number one is wealthiness can lead to flawed character. Did you see the first part of that verse? He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. At this present time, in the place that we live, what are the values? In this present age, I think some translations have, in the world. As for the rich in this world, or rich of this world. And so the world there, this present age, means all of the thoughts and philosophies and values of the world in which you live. And sometimes we don't know all of those or sometimes we don't, we're not able to define them, but it influences us anyway. And in our culture here in America, what influences us greatly is wealth. How much somebody makes means how much somebody's worth. And so it, it influences us greatly. And we look at that and say the more of that we can get, the better off we'll be. And so the philosophy around wealthiness is one that really hits us from the world's perspective. Wealth is what satisfies the world. Wealth is what gives security to the world. Wealth is what uh, gives sense of purpose to the world around us, to people that are in our society. And so those thoughts and ideas rub off on us as Christians. And if we're not careful, we take those things to heart. But what Paul's pointing out is, notice in this present age, He's hinting at something here. He's hinting at that kind of thinking is useless for the long run. 
That's short-sighted thinking. That's the kind of thinking that is only going to get you through a very short period of eternity. And so for the Christian, we should have a different philosophy. We should have a different mindset about it all. One of the problems he points out with wealth is what it does to our hearts. I think there's one thing that you could take away from the sermon today and just kind of get hold of this if you don't hear anything else is this. The problem with wealth is what it does to our hearts. Wealth in and of itself is benign. It doesn't hurt anything. There's a lot of good that goes with it. But the problem with it is what it does to our hearts. It just seems that money has a tendency to make people haughty. It seems to promote pride. We tend to measure someone's worth by net worth. It's just extremely hard to be wealthy and have a humble attitude. Extremely. Why? Because the society in which we live, the way of thinking that we're brought up with, with everyone around us, is, is, is just this. The more money that you have, the more respected you should be. The more money that you have, the higher up in society you should rise. You see, we don't worry about character. Right? We've had two presidential elections that have proven that. We, we don't worry about character. Character is not the reason that we promote people. We promote people based upon financial success. And knowing that, and we've been promoted for that purpose and for that reason, causes us to look at other people as if you are lower than me. It's extremely hard. See, the thing about Christianity, the reason that rich people don't like Christianity, is because the cross flattens that. You, you may come to a church and be the wealthiest person there and have to submit yourself to the authority of leadership of someone who's actually poor. And we just don't like that. Our pride just doesn't like it. And the more wealth we have, the better off that we think that we are. And so the, the danger here is wealthiness can lead to, it doesn't always have to, but you have to be aware of this, I have to be aware of it. Wealthiness can lead to a flawed character. It can cause us to become very prideful, very, very snooty, very haughty, looking down on others. And so that is not the way that Christ taught us. The second problem with wealth is it can lead to false confidence. If you'll notice again in looking at verse 17, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We tend to think money can solve any problem, don't we? We're tempted to think that if we have enough money in the bank, we're safe. That is a false security. One good round of cancer will just about wipe you out. Wealth is as fleeting as the spring flowers in Ohio. I've been to Lakeview Cemetery a couple times. It's the burial location for John D. Rockefeller, who had, during his lifetime, he was the richest man in the world. It's also the burial place of former President James Garfield. The size of their memorials, of course, Garfield is a tomb for presidents, so it's like a castle. But the size of their memorial is way bigger than others. You can see where they're buried way from, from a great distance. 
And so their memorial stones are way bigger than others. But here's what I also realize. The depth of their grave is exactly the same as everyone else's. You see, death is the great leveler. Everyone has an appointment with death. And if we set our lives on trying to build the biggest gravestone, then in the end, what do we really have? Something that people can walk by and admire and go, man, that's a big brick. And so with wealth can become false confidence. We think that that's going to keep us safe. That's going to make us important. And we're thinking to ourselves, it's going to provide a sense of security. It's going to provide a sense of self-worth. And so it's dangerous in that it can cause us to shift our confidence from God who is the provider of all wealth, to the wealth itself. This is why Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Or you cannot serve God and the God called money. You can't serve two masters. And wealth is dangerous because it can lure us away from serving God and trusting in Him and to begin to depend upon our own wealth and our own abilities. Our hope should be in the one who provides for us rather than in what he has provided. And by the way, this is important to note for you Scrooges and you misers. We are to depend upon God as the scripture says. But notice this about our God. There is a note here. There is a description here of the kind of God we have. Look at him. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Brothers and sisters, God has made you rich. There is not anything wrong with enjoying that. You want to go on a vacation? Go on a vacation. If you're able to afford it, buy a new pickup. You're supposed to enjoy what God has given. I know people that I grew up with at church and they lived like misers. I used to go over to their house as a kid and ride their mule on Sunday. I don't. That was entertainment in East Tennessee. We didn't have Kings Island. We just had the Snodderly's mule. So we go and ride that thing. Come to church on Sunday night smelling not so great. My mom's like, what have you been doing? Yeah, you know. So, but these folks live like misers. I mean, I remember just paltry I always thought they were poor one day their house caught on fire and the firemen had to physically restrain them from running back into the house why they had pinched every penny and stored away all of their money hundreds of thousands of dollars that went up in flames why they did not take the time to richly enjoy all that God had given them. Not only that, they didn't use any of it to let others enjoy. Instead, they were building their nest egg, their sense of security. That was what they were about. And they lost it all in one day. God is not miserly. God gives us plenty to enjoy. Life is not meant to be drudgery. But here is the issue here now. Now here's what's embedded in this that you may not see. The principle is this. 
Since God is so magnanimous in his giving to us and encourages us, have fun, have a good time, enjoy life. And since he is that kind of God, what kind of people are we that we would take from the abundance of the wealth that he has given to us and be so miserly and so stingy in our investment into the work of his kingdom? What an insult it is to the God that we love, that we say that we love, that he has provided so much for us, and then yet if he asks for 10%, we act like he has just killed our dog. I remember our our kids would ask for something for Christmas, you know, something they really wanted. And I would always test their hearts. I'd let them have it, you know, for Christmas, and they'd be playing with it. And then I would say, hey, can I have a turn? Now, I didn't care about whatever the thing was. as some kind of video game or whatever. I didn't care about it. I wanted to see their heart. And there were times they were like, no, this is mine. And you know what happened next? Unplugged from the wall and put up in the closet. Because there was a lack of gratefulness and thankfulness to the one who had provided We do the same thing to God. We enjoy, 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 enjoy. And he wants us to enjoy things. But then when it comes time to invest in the kingdom, we give the minimum. And do as little as we can. And hurt over it. Just grieve over it. Oh, what I could have done with that money. And God, in the meantime, has been so, so wonderfully generous to us. And we reflect back to him stinginess. How ungrateful. Wealth is not a sin. But the Bible here is reminding us that it is a dangerous condition. So be very careful with what you do with wealth. That's for sure. But here's the thing that that I want to get across to you. Not only be careful with what you do with wealth. But even more importantly. Be careful with what wealth does to you. Be careful. So there's, there are dangers here. There are problems with wealth. And so Paul wants to point that out for Christian people now. Be careful with it. He's not saying you shouldn't be wealthy. If you're wealthy, you're probably going to hell. That's not what he's saying. But he is pointing out there are problems. Now he looks at, look at the practices of wealth. What are you supposed to do with this? Verse 18 says, here's what we're to do. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. There are a couple of things here, principles you can look at or practices. One, live a life of quality. They are to do good works. And the the idea there is that the word good has to do with quality. Do works that have quality to them. Not just any old good thing, but quality. Obviously, he's hinting at the good works that advance the kingdom of God. There are all kinds of good works out there to do, but not all of them are the same quality. The good works that contribute to eternity are of the highest quality. And you have to ask yourself when you're doing good works in the community, what is the quality of the work that I'm doing? Not that it's a bad thing that I'm doing, but it's maybe of the lowest quality. Why would I invest my time and resources in that which is of the lowest quality? See, as Christians... We're too conditioned to think of things only in two terms. 
either right or wrong. This is right or it's wrong. And so if you look at something, Christians too often look at something and say, I don't see anything wrong with it. And so therefore they think I ought to do it. Well, as a maturing Christian, you also have to add another layer of decision-making grid uh, onto what you're doing. And that next layer is, okay, you get past the right or wrong thing. The next layer is a quality thing. That which I'm going to do, is it of the highest quality as, type, as a type of work that I can do? Or is this a lower? It's not a, no, we're not talking about the effort that you put in. We're talking about the arena in which it exists. If it's a good work that merely contributes to temporal things, then it's of the lowest quality. It's not wrong. It's just of the lowest quality. And here's the issue. If you're always doing things that contribute to the lowest quality stuff, you're living the lowest quality life. That's the issue. And so God has placed these resources in your hands, time and treasure and talent And so what do you do with them? You have to decide. What's the highest quality? What's the highest quality work I can do? Quality meaning what's going to last the longest, right? When we go to the store, we buy something. Quality means it's going to last. If it's not going to last, it's a poor quality. You don't buy it. Many of you, the works that you do, they're good in and of themselves. But we'd say they're made in China. The quality is just low. Just low. And so you do those things, spend your time doing those things, and you're living a a life that's of lower quality than what you could be living. Sometimes you hear people talk about quality of life. You've heard that. They don't have any quality of life. And generally, this applies in our thinking to a person's health or really the lack thereof. The person cannot function independently in in the basic functions of life. And so we'll say they have a low quality of life. But did you know that there are so many people in our world today, and I hope it's no one here, who have all the bodily and mental functions going just fine, yet they do not have quality of life as far as God is concerned. Their lives are consumed with self-pleasing, and in God's world, that's a life of the lowest quality. What is your quality of life? It depends upon the quality of the works that you do. And the quality of the works that you do depend upon this. Do they contribute? How much do they contribute to the kingdom of God? That is the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of people now and forever. The closer you get to that in your works, the higher the quality of life that you live. And that's what he's saying. As people who have wealth, you have options. There are things that you can do. People that don't have wealth, they're limited in options. You... You're wealthy. You can do all kinds of things. And so many of those things are not wrong things. But you really need to come to a biblical perspective on things and ask, what about the quality of this? If I do this, how long does it last? 10 years? 20 years? How long does it last? Or does it last for eternity? If it lasts for eternity, the good works that I'm doing, if it lasts for eternity, it's the highest quality. And that's the place that you want to be. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Boy, that that was a strong one. Live a life of quality. Now look, here's the other practice of wealth. Live a life of generosity. Be generous and ready to share. 
the rich should always be ready to share with those in need. Now, here, this, make sure that you understand this. This is not what the, God is saying here. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that you're required to give to everyone who has an apparent need. It simply means that we need a plan of giving. And our plan of giving needs to be one that does the most good for eternity. Here's a principle I live by. I do not promote through my giving people who defy the Bible. The Bible says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. And if a guy comes in here wanting money and he's too lazy to work, he gets nothing. Why should I take the resources? And here's what I always think in my mind. This is the giving, and I, and I have in my mind, I'm not going to name them publicly, but my widows here at this church. And I'm thinking, these ladies have given this money to the ministry of this church. Why would I turn around and give that to someone who won't work a lick? Or so they can go to Kroger's and support a bad habit they got. Why would I do that? I'm not required as a Christian to have a bleeding heart over people who are defying God. I'm not required for that. God doesn't tell us to do that. So you're not responsible with your wealth to stop with everybody that's holding a sign on the corner and give them money. You're not responsible. Now, if you want to, do, if you want to give, give. I'm not saying don't. I've done it before, and I, I, I bought one couple Starbucks coffee and didn't know I was doing it. I saw them, and I'm like, wait a minute, hold up. You're buying coffee. Thought y'all were in bad shape. All right, so here's the thing. A lot of swindling. So you want to help people who have run into disaster in life through no fault of their own, really. They've run into disaster, and they're looking to find a way to get their lives out of the hole. They have a plan. I'll help those people. I used to do a thing in another church one time. Our deacons had a $200 limit on helping someone. And here's what we did. People would come in and say, I need, I need help. We need help with groceries. We need help. Blah, blah. I'd say, okay, look, uh, I've got a guy here, and he takes you through a, a financial um, responsibility class. And it's four Sundays, and all you've got to do is show up here at Sunday school hour at 930 and meet with Bill. And bring your checkbook or bring your bank account, and he will help you get your finances in order. And as you do that, and we'll help you find a job, and as you do that, we will give you money. Now, I'm going to give you $50 to show up to Sunday school for the next four Sundays. Uh, the whole time I was pastor there, 12 years, I had one taker. Could not even put forth enough effort to come to church with free coffee and donuts. You know what that tells me? I'm not going to put the effort forward. I'm a bum. And I don't have responsibility as a Christian to promote that which is in defiance of what the Word of God says. So as a person who has wealth, and each of you have wealth, some of you have more discretionary funds than others, it's true. You're not required to go around and give money to everybody. You need to invest it in the right places. First Timothy, we've already been alerted to some requirements of how we should use our money. We should use it to support our own families, right? That's in the scriptures. We're, we're to use it to help widows who have no one. They don't have a family. We're to provide for the leaders of a church. And we're to concentrate our help on believers in our own local church. These avenues have been shown to us in the scripture. Those are the priorities. 
Sometimes we think as a church, outreach, outreach, whatever that is, outreach, um, outreach is what has helped people in the community. You know what's a greater testimony to the gospel? When the community of believers are taking care of each other. And the outsiders look and go, wow, we don't have anything like that here. Outside the church, we don't have that. That's a testimony to the gospel that's greater than anything else. Last time I helped a guy, he needed gasoline, you know, so he has a gas can. And so he comes up to me and he, I told him, I said, look, man, yeah, sure. I'm going to give you $5 gas, you know. So I filled his gas can up, you know. We're talking and I tell him, you know, I'm a pastor. The next thing he's like, oh, you know, I'll be at church Sunday. I went, no, 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 please don't. Just please don't. He goes, what, what, what do you mean? You don't, no, please, just please don't. I've heard all that before. I don't want to hear it again. I don't, I don't need anybody lying to me today. This is one of those days where I'm like, I don't want lies. So I'm giving you the gasoline. I don't know what you're going to do with it. I really don't care. But I'm giving this to you because I just want to be generous to somebody today. Now have a good day. He looked at me like somebody had just smacked him across the face, which is exactly the effect I wanted. Because too many of those folks are thinking that we're naive and gullible and easy to trick. I'm thinking, dude, you're not tricking me. I'm giving this to you because I want to. Does that sound cold-hearted? It's being wise. Just realizing this is the world that we deal with. So the thing is, with practicing wealth, we are to be generous. But generosity does not mean stupidity. Generosity should be strategic. And I would say the best place to be generous is through the ministry of your local church. You know, we have a benevolence ministry here. Our deacons run that. And every time we have deacons meeting, you know, we're, we talk about whoever's in charge of that, you know. Um, we, most of our deacons, we turn them into Presbyterians because they've been on the benevolence team for a while. It just totally wrecks their faith. And so... Um, so they come in and say, well, I had 12 calls and we gave to one. Because the rest of it is just fluff. And so you give through the local ministry, the, the, the ministry of your local church here. And we in turn do help people in the community. But it's not just everybody that asks for something just because they want it. It's your guys, your deacons are trying to be wise enough to see who we can actually help. So be generous. Okay, so let's keep going. We've got to keep moving on. What are the purposes of wealth? Look at verse 19. Thus, so this gives us our purpose statement, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What are the purposes of wealth? Why has God given you this, all this wealth that you have? One is to accumulate heavenly wealth. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. We see here in this, this verse the purposes of the practices of verse 18. Verse 18 gives us these practices of living quality life by quality works and also generosity. So why do that? What is the, the result of that? What is the purpose of it? Yeah, well, here it is, that you store up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future. The word foundation here is, can also be translated fund. And so you're looking at future funds, future growth. We're talking about the kind of wealth that can't be bought. We're talking about 
the knowledge of having helped someone to come to Christ through a ministry or through a missionary that you helped to fund. What is that worth? You see, heaven is not going to be the same for everybody. A lot of people are just thinking, if I can just make it. Have you not read the scripture? There are different kinds of greetings in heaven. There are different kinds of arrivals. You want to show up to a parade? Or do you want to show up to just a little silence? Where Jesus is like, well, you're a little later than I thought, but come on in. Or do you want, or do you want a parade? What do, you, what do you want? You see, because as you invest in the lives of people for eternity then you're going to receive a rich welcome. Many of you are investing in things right now and you probably even know the outcome of it all. But every time we get together, we're investing in the lives of people so that they can tell other people about Christ. I was in Cleveland this week with Tony Lissetto. And Tony's a church planner. He's been planting church in Cleveland area, which is just hard going. And he's been working at it for six years, and our church has been supporting him financially in other ways. Uh, he and Beth, we've been supporting them for several years now, four years, I think. And it's hard going. And I was talking to him about COVID, and they had been up to the place of running, you know, maybe 45 or so. And COVID hit, and they're back to 25, you know, and it's so discouraging for him. And so, I, you know, I went up there to help him with, you know, recrafting kind of vision and also some strategy and how to develop leaders and some other skills like that. And so, you know, working on those things. But here's what I told Tony. You know, he was so discouraged, and, and I told him this. I said, listen, bro, if I left the pulpit today at Chillicothe Baptist Church, in six weeks they'd have somebody in my place and go right on. There ain't nobody coming to old Brooklyn, bro. There's nobody coming here. You're it. You're the hero. You, you are. You're the one sticking this out. You're the one with a heart for these people. You're the one going up and down the street telling people about Christ. You're the guy. So you stick it out. Don't you get out of the saddle. You stay where you belong. You, church, have been investing in them for a long period of time. One, through our cooperative program giving and North American Mission Board giving. And so that was part of their support for a while. And we also have been supporting them directly for some period of time. Why? Because the good news of Jesus has to get to the people in Cleveland. We're trying to accumulate. I'm trying to help you to accumulate heavenly wealth. I'm trying to help you to accumulate. You, you, I want you to be the kind of people that when you die and you go to heaven, that there are people from old Brooklyn that greet you and say, thanks for your help. If you would have not helped, there would have been nobody there. If there's nobody there, we don't hear the gospel. If we don't hear the gospel, we don't go to heaven. They will probably mispronounce the name of your church, but they will say thank you anyway. That's what you're looking for, to invest, to accumulate that. And then he says the purposes of wealth is to demonstrate eternal life so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There is a 
eternal life has to do with yes in the future, but there's a kind of life, there's a quality of life that reflects eternal life, that is eternal life. It's the abundant life. It's the life that Jesus came to give to us. And this kind of living is not salvation by works. That's not the meaning here. But what this is is genuine life. It's a life that shows the evidence that you have indeed trusted upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. Wouldn't it be true that if His Spirit is alive in you, if He is living in you, then you are also going to have the same interests that He has. So this kind of thing, this investing in kingdom things, shows, it demonstrates. It demonstrates far more than a sinner's prayer. It demonstrates your actual commitment to the things of God, which is evidence that the God of those things lives in you. And so you demonstrate eternal life. You, you never realize this, but every Sunday you give. Many of you give online, you know, on Monday or whatever you do. You, you don't realize when you're doing that, here's what you're saying. Yes, people that are not Christians would have no reason to invest in this. But because I know Christ and his life is in me, I want to show it. And that's what I do. That's why we give. That's what we do. Now, I want to tell you, church, I, you know, uh, I, this, I just want to make sure you understand this. I have heard of pastors that do not give to the church they pastor. They say, I've heard them say this, my ministry and my life is my gift to my church. Well, I want to let you know that's not this pastor. We give way beyond the minimum. Why? Because I believe in the ministry of this church. And because the life of Jesus is in me. I want you to be able to give from joy. From a joyful place. Knowing that God has given you so much. Knowing that he wants you to enjoy life. And he wants you to invest in things which belong to the future. Which belong to the next age. Because that's where you're going. You're not staying here. Invest in where you're going, not in where you're staying. And invest in those things. So on that day, you'll be able to enter in with joy and celebration and a parade. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, what do we do here? What do we do with this thing? Got to wind it up. Dear Christian, this is for you. It's not wrong to have money. Yay. Money comes from God. Yay, aren't you relieved? Phew, not wrong to have money, so it's fine. But it is wrong when money has you. Be very, very careful. Secondly, non-Christian. Is your love for money keeping you away from God? Is the pursuit of wealth and money really, really your God? Jesus asked this question. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Do you have such a love for money that you don't have the ability to put that down and give your love to Jesus? Until you come to the place where you could say, Lord, I would give it all to you if that's what you required of me. Then you really, really don't want him. I've noticed this one thing, this one fact I've done. I don't know. I need to count. It's, it's in the 200s of funerals. I've done a bunch of them. And uh, as the old preachers used to say, I've never seen a U-Haul behind the hearse. Whatever you do here in, in 
evolving things of this temporary world, it stays here. It stays here. And by the way, just so you know, I've always seen the kids fight over what's left behind. I've always, every time, there's a fight. There's a falling out. I'll tell you what I would do. I would spend it all before you die. Invest it, get, you know, give to the Lord, spend it all, and then leave some made for the grandkids. I'd skip the kids. They've had enough already. It is appointed to us to die once and after that the judgment. Just recognize if you're not a follower of Jesus, there is judgment coming. And you're not going to get a free pass. You're not going to get an out because of the level of wealth that you've accumulated in this life. It has zero bearing on judgment. Judgment has to do with those who are rich toward God. And there's no way to be rich toward God except through Jesus. Because he was rich. And yet for our sakes he became poor. That we might have the righteousness of God. That's how we get rich. is through righteousness. Richness of the righteousness of God in our lives. And God looks on that because of our relationship to Jesus. That's what makes you rich. If you've never followed Jesus. Ever started loving him and following him and obeying him. Today is the day to start that. Because when you make that decision. Salvation is yours. Forgiveness of sin pardon from all sin past present and future the presence of God in your life knowing that you're justified by God and you don't ever have to go back that's what you get in Jesus and if you don't have that peace in your life today you need it let's pray together father I thank you so much that you have given to us life eternal and now Lord I pray that as we go and and we um, participate in the Lord's Supper that the reality of being justified by faith in Jesus, will be driven home to our hearts and lives even further. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.